0: Hey, it's Michael, and this is the Kintsugi Podcast. I'll be back in a minute with today's conversation about resilience. But first, if you're interested in creating a better life, having a better career, please visit kintsugipodcast.com and grab your free workbook on how to have a better life. In it, you'll discover tips and routines so you can find the energy for the things and the people who matter most so you can create a better tomorrow and create the life and career you desire. James, thanks for joining us here in New Jersey. I know you're out in San Francisco where the world seems to be burning and being on fire.
1: It's true. It's a little harder to breathe out here, which is kind of apropos to our conversation.
0: Absolutely. So I want to start sort of in the back of your book. And again, thanks for putting it out there. I think it's a game changer and a whole bunch of my friends are talking about it and everyone in our Leadership Academy is looking into it. But you shared a sort of outer body experience where you got all sweaty and and through a, sounds like a pretty intense, we'll call it a meditation session, but it was more than that. And I was hoping you could at least share with the audience that experience because I think that was sort of foundational in doing this research, plus your work with free divers. But that, that experience really hit home with me and I wanted you to share that as we begin.
1: Yeah, I would consider it a very deep inner body experience because I was breathing in such a way, in this very simple rhythmic way. I had never done a breathing exercise like this before. And my doctor had suggested I do it because I was having a bunch of respiratory problems. Just breathing in a corner in this cold room, cyclical breaths, and just start pouring out sweat, just completely sweating. Wasn't even breathing that hard. Uh, Other people in the room saw it. Uh my hair was sopping wet. My t-shirt was sopped like absolutely like a sweat I've never experienced in my life. Thought, wow, this is interesting. Um, so I went back to my doctor and I said, What had happened to me? And she said, Oh, you've you have a fever or you were wearing too many clothes, or she she had no idea. So as a science journalist, I didn't want to write a memoir about it, you know, I wanted to understand what was really happening to the body in the, in these states of we're really focusing on, on your breath. But I kind of forgot about that story for a while, for a couple of years until I met free divers, people who showed me the true potential of breathing, uh, people who had harnessed breathing to hold their breath for seven, eight, nine minutes at a time. And I thought, wow, if we're able to do that underwater, what else can we do on land? Where can breathing take us? What does the science really say about it? So that's really what set me off on a Multi year journey around the world to try to figure this out.
0: That's so cool. I love, love the fact again that you brought it out. I, I think the breath may be that new thing in 2021 that we tend to go back to, you know, almost in a returning to old comforts that we have once forgotten as we go through this crazy year of 2020. Well, when we look at the culture, you know, I, I think I've just exercise classes, uh, uh, football players, you know, breathing and oxygen. I know you've referenced oxygen bars in past interviews. It almost seems like we we sort of peddle in this oxygen need for just for more. Like you got to more oxygen, more fire breathing, more if you're not gasping, you're really not working out. In reading through the book, my takeaway was we don't necessarily have an oxygen consumption issue, except we might be actually breathing in more than we should. But it's more of the off-put of the carbon dioxide that's really the big issue, that we have breathing basically all wrong, that we should be sort of flipping the script. Do I do I have that right? Or am I making too much of a simplistic you know, conclusion from, from what I read?
1: No, you do have that right. You think about our culture and... More is always more. I want to go further. I want to go harder. No pain, no gain. I'm going to kick this breath's ass. I'm just going to keep pushing, pushing, pushing. But people who are over-breathing, especially, and we know that's wrong. You try to exercise like this. Yeah, you'll you'll get far for a little while and then your body will break down. I mean, there's been so many studies showing this. But if you approach breathing with that same philosophy, it's going to do nothing for you beyond beyond hurts you There, there are no benefits from it because all you're doing is taking breath in and pushing it back out you're not using that breath that you're taking in because you're breathing so inefficiently and even you know a lot of people in the medical community don't really understand this that by taking longer and deeper breaths you're able to get more oxygen for less effort and what is efficiency to get more for less. So if you're breathing 20 times a minute, which is pretty common, you're taking breath in. You can only take it in to the top of your lungs, but most of of the gas exchange is happening at the bottom of your lungs. So you're literally bringing breath in to all these areas that can't participate in gas exchange and putting it back out. So you have to breathe more breaths to get equivalent oxygen to longer and slower breaths. And what this does is when you're breathing that quickly, your heart rate is just going to be off the charts. So you're just forcing your body to constantly work 25,000 times a day. So your body will do a good job of compensating to keep you alive, but it's not going to keep you healthy. And that, that's what we're seeing now. You can stay in this state of constant sympathetic stress, adrenaline. I'm going to go, 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 go. But I promise you, At a certain time, you're either going to come to a screeching halt or you're going to slowly just decline into nothing and be destroyed. You know, people call it a nervous breakdown. You can call it whatever you want, but you see this all the time. So, the people who win the race, who have good relationships with their families, you know, who are still corporate go getters, who are kicking ass on a number of different levels, they know how to control this and stay in focus and stay calm. And that's how the most efficient way to exercise, to work, to relationships, to everything is in that zone.
0: I love it. Well, one of the analogies I made, because I've seen a lot through the whole COVID as we all have, right? I believe that COVID is happening for us, not to us, much like as we talked about before we hit record, my accident happened for me, not to me. And I made this analogy that COVID is sort of like a triathlon. You know, We've heard the old adage that life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. I think COVID is not a marathon, it's a triathlon. A triathlon where we don't necessarily know how long it is, grant you. But this initial chaos phase that many of us were in in March and April, I view it as that hyperventilation of like breathe in and out quickly. And then I talked about the control phase, which I think we're in, like a Brene Brown would call it the day two that middle ground where we have to find something to control, which we can control our breath, obviously. But in this whole concept of athletics, you write about uh, Emil Zapotec. Uh, I, I probably just botched his last name. but And I've seen some videos. So I read what you wrote about him. And then I went to YouTube and I got some crazy videos. The guy seemed to be holding his breath while he was running. And... You know, the Tour de France is on. Obviously, I'm a big cyclist. And you can see even those guys going through the Pyrenees and upcoming here, the Alps, they're, they're not breathing that way. They're, they're breathing with mouth open. And so I'd love for you to talk through that because I have a lot of my community that are also athletes. So that whole concept of nasal breathing. And then is there ever a point where mouth breathing is, is needed, like when it gets really intense uh, based on your research?
1: Well, yeah, mouth breathing is needed when we can't breathe out of our noses. So we get punched in the nose, we're diving, we get water in our nose, we have severe congestion. It's wonderful to have a backup system, right? Our mouth can keep us alive, but again, it can't keep us healthy. And we've known this for, I mean, this, this goes back thousands of years. You look at ancient scripts and they're all saying, do not breathe through the mouth. You are going to get sick. I don't know how many times I have to say this. Uh, looking at these, uh, the the uh, books of the Tao, there's like seven books that all they do is talk about breathing. All the benefits of nasal breathing, of breath holding of other breathing practices, and all the damage that mouth breathing is going to cause you. So now we have a very firm foundation of science showing that so much of that is 100% true. I got to be good friends with Dr. Jack Ernayak, who is the chief of rhinology research at Stanford. So he knows a thing or two about the nose. And he showed me all of these crazy structures in the nose, right? So air has to run this gauntlet before it gets to your lungs. As it's running that gauntlet, It is being humidified. It is being heated up. It is being conditioned and pathogens are being removed in that process. It's also being pressurized. So breathing equivalent breaths through the nose as opposed to the mouth will give you 20% more oxygen. And tell me who doesn't want 20% more oxygen for equivalent breaths. So when you're talking about sports, so there's there's some stages because people are saying, you know, MMA fighters, they're breathing through their mouth. Boxers sometimes breathe through their mouth. Yeah, if you're getting your nose punched and you can't breathe through your mouth, that makes perfect sense. But if you look at the work of Phil Maffetone, if you look at the work from Dr. John Duyar, who's been studying this stuff for 40 years, ultra marathoners, professional cyclists, Olympians, tennis stars, NBA, NFL, I could go on and on. Once people acclimate to nasal breathing, they will be able to run so much more efficiently. And what I mean by that is they will be able to reach the threshold they were at before with a lower heart rate, which will allow them to then go beyond that and have that extra energy. So Look at their work. I did not conduct these stories uh, or these studies, but I looked at the research for years and it's, it's so clear. The one thing I'll say is a lot of people get turned off to nasal breathing. They try it once to say, ah, oh, screw this. I can't do it. I'm moving on. It takes time. Things, things can take time. Sometimes it takes a couple of weeks. Sometimes it takes a couple months, but the benefits are, are very well known and established.
0: Well, I've been trying to do nasal breathing for all my cycling workouts since I read your book. And I would have to say, now I'm about two, three weeks in, when it gets really intense, my heart rate is generally about 10 beats slower per minute. Now, in the beginning, I struggled. I got dropped on a couple rides because I I, I, I panicked because I had air hunger. And I'm like, you know, I was like, I was trying to be really disciplined about no mouth breathing. And now I can do a group ride. I also have one of those Peloton spin bikes where they're telling me to breathe fire, but I did a whole workout last night solely through nasal breathing. A very intense workout. Heart rate, yeah, about 10, 10 beats per minute less, and I, I was actually stronger. You know, you when you measure output, I was thirty points stronger on my output, which was amazing. Now, in today's culture, there's also like a lot of devices out there, elevation masks. There's another type of device, all seeming to train the, the muscles of the lungs. In your research, do those work? Is that something we should be focusing in on? Because I, I like to think the original equipment is actually fine enough that we're just not maximizing our original equipment. We don't necessarily have to go to these mechanisms. But I didn't know what your research found. First
1: of all, I have to say, really, that's a profound improvement after just a few weeks of doing this. And I'm surprised because usually it takes people of a few months to see market big improvements. But if you've gone this far so quickly, you can just imagine what's going to happen in a couple months. So it's really key, key to stick stick with this. I mean, you're going to be on the Tour de France, you know, I'll,
0: I'll be watching you. The older I get, I'm looking for every advantage out there, man. I, 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 need, I, like, I need something as I'm riding against like 35 year olds who seem to be able to go out at night and then show up in the morning and kick everyone's ass. I'm looking for every legal way of being able to compete with them. So if breath is it, I am bought in like hook, line, and sinker.
1: So, so you're doing the first you know, thing right, which is breathing through your nose. Inspiratory muscle training, which is those devices. There's a device called Power Breathe. You can buy a bunch of other ones online. They have a huge benefit, big impact, because what you're doing is you're strengthening The diaphragm, you're enlarging your lungs, your lung capacity, more lungs, larger fuel tank, fewer breaths, lower heart rate, more for less. And that's that's what you want. So there's some great science done in the 90s and 2000s by Dr. Allison McConnell. There's a whole book about inspiratory muscle training. And the performance gains that she had after four weeks from rowers to cyclists, they're going to blow your mind. So that stuff is very real. Do you need this stuff? You don't need any of it, right? You don't need your altitude mass, which really has nothing to do with altitude. What's that, what that's doing is allowing you to increase your threshold for CO2. So the reason why you were struggling to breathe and you're like, oh, I'm so out of breath, I'm hypoxic, is because of that increase of CO2. That's what triggers the need to breathe. It is not a lack of oxygen. And if you have a pulse oximeter, a lot of people have one of these things around in the age of COVID. I think you'd really get a kick out of this. Go on your Peloton bike, put on one of these. They have some that just go around the finger, much less obtrusive to this. Cycle as hard as you can and breathe at like half the rate that you usually would. I was on a bike here at a local gym hooked up to all these instruments, breathing six breaths a minute while I was cranking it out. My oxygen didn't move. Yeah, it felt like I was suffocating. I was like, just sweating. It was awful. But my oxygen stayed at 97. It even went up a percentage point at this extreme, uh, you know, at these really extreme stages. So what that is, is that's the increase of carbon dioxide opening up all of the arteries, capillaries, and allowing for more blood flow, which is why when you start to breathe less, breathing through your nose, you're like, God, I'm so hot. My fingers are warm. That's blood flow. That's red blood cells delivering oxygen to the areas that need it. And that's exactly what you want in in various levels of fitness.
0: All right, cool. So I will do that. And I will send you a little message about how I did. but Because we just bought one of those because of the whole COVID thing. My wife is a child birth doula, so she needs to be monitoring all that to get access into the hospitals just around her health. So I will steal it from her, no one tell her, and I'll, I'll get on the Peloton and make that thing all sweaty. So, uh, and I'll send, you a, I'll send you a message on how I do with it.
1: And that, that's what's great about breathing and these different methods, they're so easy to measure. It's not like some subjective, hey, I feel better. And that, that's cool too. It's, but with very simple instruments, with blood pressure monitors, with heart rate variability, with pulse oximeters, you can see how just shifting your breathing a little bit can have such a profound benefit.
0: Very cool. Well, so I've already referenced that you're not a doctor. You come at this as a journalist. But what any type of information that came out of your research in terms of asthma and breath work, you know, it for those that who are asthmatic and they might be on a whole bunch of medication, clearly like doing some breath work is probably gonna help them. But I didn't know what your research showed in terms of that specific disease state and coming back to nasal breathing and just being more attentive to our breath.
1: Yeah. So I just want to second what you said. I'm not a breathing therapist. I'm not a doctor. I'm a science journalist who went into this world to try to understand it and to look at all the data and talk to the experts in the field, which is exactly what I did over several years. So what I learned, just with that little caveat aside, what I learned about asthma is asthmatics as a population, same thing with people with fear-based mental disorders, anorexia, uh, anxiety, panic. As populations, they breathe too much and they usually breathe through their mouth. So when you see an asthmatic, that's very common. So they've done dozens of studies. And the best one I thought was done at Southern Methodist University by Dr. Alicia Muret, who was trained at Stanford, went down there and said, hmm, since asthmatics breathe too much, and if we breathe too much, we can cause vasoconstriction, which leads to inflammation, which leads to attacks. What if we just train asthmatics to breathe less? And we calculated this with a capnometer. And a capnometer just gauges the amount of carbon dioxide in your exhaled breath. So there's a quantitative measurement for it. It's not, hey, how do you feel? Do you feel like you can breathe better? We have data to show this. So she did this with 120 asthmatics and just had them bring around this cabinometer and was not only able to stop asthma attacks, but their respiratory health vastly improved over just a few weeks and then went on for a few months after that. So it had this enormous impact on them, slowing their breathing down to six breaths a minute. She did the same thing with panic sufferers, and something like 92% of them showed very significant benefits from this. Within the first four weeks, 50, 40 to 50% no longer were having panic attacks by shifting the way in which they were breathing. And this study is widely available. Anyone can look it up. You can look up her name, check it out. But uh, it's one of, of many, just showing that slowing down your breathing, okay, putting yourself, it, decreasing that inflammation by breathing and relaxing yourself is a wonderful tool to use for asthma. Some people claim to not have any symptoms of asthma anymore after doing this for a few months.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Well, my audience is well, like made up of a lot of corporate warriors. And I think in your book, you reference how we have email apnea, that we're holding our breath as we're doing emails. And I know a whole bunch of my clients, they're cranking out 150 emails a day, which probably takes a couple of minutes to create each one and read them. And now I'm starting to do the math. I'm thinking they're holding their breath, not in a intentional way, not in a purposeful way, but sort of just a subconscious way. And that can't be healthy. So what did you discover about email apnea? I, I was surprised that there was even such a thing. So
1: Dr. Margaret Chesney here at University of California, San Francisco, has studied this for well over a decade. Uh, this is all NIH research. It's, it's very legit stuff. And she found that when people sit down at a desk, just like we all do, open up your email in the morning, like oh my God, 60 emails are going to start chugging these things out your breathing goes to hell. And if you continue to do this, you can start to suffer from the same problems associated with sleep apnea. Sleep apnea is this awful disease that a quarter of the population has where you choke (laughs) when you sleep and you're constantly choking on yourself. And we know that sleep apnea causes a rash of awful things Alzheimer's. It's been uh, associated with Alzheimer's, diabetes. I mean, stuff you would never think of cancer, increased risk of cancer, on and on and on. No one's arguing with that, but no one's looking at how few people are looking at how we're breathing during the day. So she studied this for a long time and found one estimate says that 80% of office workers suffer from this. And so I was curious after talking with her, so you know I'm a dork. I have all these different gizmos around. So I wore a pulse oximeter and forgot I had it on because the second you notice it, you're going to adjust your breathing. So forgot I had it on. I put it on in the morning. I'd go down throughout my day. It was really non-invasive. I didn't really feel it. And I'd start my emails and then I would look at my charts later. And it was an absolute disaster what happened to my breathing. I was holding my breath for like 20 seconds at a time and then then breathing way too much, holding my breath again, breathing way too much. So one thing that I do that anyone can do is there's numerous apps. doesn't matter if you're on Android or iPhone. They all do the same thing. You can set breathing patterns just to a tone. So you don't have to sit and look at your phone, but it just has this nice... I set that to about five or six breaths per minute. I put the phone down right when I start my day. So that allows you to start in calmly and with a clear mind instead of just going off the rails with stress. And I know especially now everyone's so stressed out. Everything's done on a computer, on Zoom, on email. And we should really be paying attention to our breathing now more than ever for for immune health as well.
0: Well, one of the things that people who have listened to me over the years I've insisted, I've urged them, scolded them, However, any verb you want, is one, don't sleep with your phone. Your email should be the last thing you pick up first thing in the morning. No email, no social. Like go downstairs or go wherever, go to another room, get a good glass of water, take a few breaths. Again, my version, PBR, pause, breathe, and reflect. Think about your intentions in the day so then you can be a little bit more purposeful when you go back to the email or when you... Enter the email, so we can be you now. We can just stress, you know, manage our stress a little bit better than how we're doing. Because I'm, I'm quite concerned that now we're six months in and in change into this whole COVID thing, and the next three to four months as the days get a little bit shorter, at least daylight, and we got back to school, got this little thing called an election, and a whole bunch of other things that I, I worry about our stress management, and that's why I think your work is so dang important. Because it can help us, you know, find a little bit of calm within all this chaos.
1: Yeah, you know, changing your diet is a huge will make a huge difference. Exercising will make a huge difference. Those things require some planning, some time, and real lifestyle changes for a lot of people. But we all carry our breath with us, hundred percent of the time, right, all day long. So to change your breathing, even while you're answering emails or writing emails, or watching Netflix, or reading a book, or whenever, you can take control of your breathing, which allows you to take control of so many of the other functions in your body, which allows you to work more efficiently. Just like with performance, athletic performance, corporate performance, it's all about efficiency. You don't want to waste time, you don't want to waste energy with stuff. Before I became a journalist, I, you know, wore a suit, had a tie, had a staff. <laughs> like that that was my, my life. And I did it for for a long time. And I saw the people burning out were just balls to the wall all the time. Sometimes you need to do that, but you want to save your energy for when you need to do that. The rest of the time, not slow, but steady and working efficiently is the only way to stay in the game.
0: Uh, absolutely. So for those corporate folks. What tips would you recommend that they do? Because you know, there's a lot there the reading through your book, the last section was great, a lot of different tips. But if you could highlight maybe three or four, that would be a good place to start. I'm a big believer in micro action strung together over time, that consistency, that leads to some of the best results as opposed to the the hack or the quick fix. So what recommendations would you have for them?
1: The very first one is to become aware of your breathing. So breathing is unconscious, which is awesome. We don't have to think about it too much. It's like a software program. It's just working in the background, collecting data, allowing us to breathe a certain way. But for so many of us who are stressed, the unconscious brain is really controlling our bodies. So if our unconscious brain is constantly stressed, our breathing is going to be reflected by that and stress. So by becoming aware of your breathing and taking control of your breathing, you can then send a positive feedback loop your brain, actually get yourself to think differently and to feel differently about things. We know this to be true. I was just talking to a neuroscientist at Stanford who's studying this this very thing. So awareness is number one. The next one, you have to breathe through your nose. I don't care if your nose is plugged up. I don't care if you have deviated septum. 70% of the population has a deviated septum. Figure out a way of breathing through your nose. Some people need surgical interventions. What I learned at Stanford is a lot of us don't. We need to start breathing through our nose more often and our nose will naturally open up. The next thing is to breathe slowly. Do not breathe like this. If you catch yourself breathing like that, take a pause, take a PBR as it were.
0: That's good, James. That's good. That's good. good.
1: Now brainwash.
0: You're brainwashed. Every time you hear PBR now, you won't think of the other one. You'll think of ours. Yeah.
1: You'd be surprised. I'm thinking of the other one. Quite, quite often <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: we are too. But you know, we, you know, we, 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 uh, we pretend.
1: So I think that the last thing I, I would say is breathe less. And a lot of people think, "What are you talking about? Breathe less? We're going to not get enough oxygen." That's false. For the vast majority of us, we're breathing too much, which means we're just wasting energy. We're not breathing efficiently. By breathing less, what I'm really saying is breathe in line with your metabolic needs, okay? So you want to give your body just the right amount of oxygen at just the right amount of time and not cause a lot of undue wear and tear on your systems, taking in oxygen. Uh, It's like revving a car at a stoplight. Would you just sit there and rev up the RPMs You wouldn't. Why would you do that? The car is going to break down. Your body's a lot like that. So those those three things are really where it's at for, for me when I think of this stuff. Awareness, nasal breathing, slow breathing. Slow breathing by virtue is usually less breathing.
0: Very cool. And I will say the whole nasal congestion thing, as I mentioned before we started, I've been sleeping with that mouth tape for the whole month of September. And I have like right nostril congestion. It's usually if there's one nostril being blocked, it's that one. Had a broken nose when I was younger. Girl hit me. It's a long story over a, over a beer, over a, a, real, a different type of PBR. Maybe I will share that story. So I've been doing this tape breathing while I'm sleeping and my wife thought I was a little you know cracked in the head. And at first I thought, I'm not going to make it through the night. I was a little hungry for my air. And then all of a sudden, about three days ago, I woke up and it like my both nostrils felt wide open. I was like, holy cow. And then I was like, well, I'm gonna try this out. Then I went for like a massive ride just doing nasal breathing. I didn't measure my heart rate on that, but that was a ride. I felt like I had no chain and a tailwind. It was, it was amazing. So for those who have some doubt, and I know there's probably a whole bunch of people like, ah, I don't know, I can't, I can't do it. You might try it for a few days and then you revert back to your old practices try to find a way through that initial awkwardness, the resistance, however you want to say it. For, for me, just one and of one, it worked wonders. It was great.
1: Yeah, and there's, there's a firm foundation of science on this stuff too. So this isn't, you know, new age woo-woo. Uh, I heard about this from the Doctor of Speech-Language Pathology at Stanford. She had nasal obstruction. She was a mouth breather. She was slated for surgery. She was curious to see what she could do with her own natural body. She went and looked at people who had, had laryngectomies, holes drilled in their throats. And from two months to two years, their entire noses were closed. 100%. She's like, wow, it's easier it or lose it. So she's the one giving her patients sleep tape. This isn't me. It's not some San Francisco journalist this stuff came from the leaders, Dr. Mark Burhani, Dr. Ann Kearney, I mean, from Dr. Stephen Park, just talked to him today. So that that's where this stuff is coming from. And, you know, on my website, there's all 500 different scientific references you, you can take out. There's videos, there's x-rays that you can check out too. So it's it's I, I, there's no benefit for me to believe one thing and not to believe the other. You know, as a journalist, what, what I do is try to figure out the, the truth behind all this stuff. And, and this, this to me isn't even controversial. We, we know the benefits of nasal breathing. It's just convincing yourself to do it as a whole other can of worms.
0: Oh, yeah, that's the whole trick to everything. So we talk a lot about resilience. So I would love for you to finish this statement. Resilience all comes down to what in your perspective, in your mind?
1: Flexibility. Respiratory Flexibility. Being flexible with coworkers, being flexible in relationships, admitting when the science or data changes, to look at objectively at things and be willing to change your mind for where the real facts are—I think is is really the key to so much.
0: Yeah, I think resilience and agility or flexibility are going to be two great currencies as we go forward. Our ability to even hold a couple different opposing thoughts in our head at the same time. As opposed to this binary world that we live in, well, I'll get you out on this one, James. So we made a donation to one of your favorite charities, the anti, well, the International Anti Poaching Foundation, and I was hoping you could spend a few minutes on why that charity is so important to you.
1: I had met one of the directors of that foundation. His name is Chuck Swift. So uh, he was with Sea Shepherd for years and years, defending whales. And other marine mammals throughout the oceans. And I had no idea the whole rhino situation was as bad as it is. And I mean, absolutely heartbreaking stuff. So, this organization, they are grassroots, they are scrappy. There isn't some guy making, you know, half a million bucks flying around in a G6, you know, handing out his cards for his foundation. These guys are on the ground. What they do is they take uh, women who have been abused or have come from very difficult situations. They train them. So the equivalent of a Navy SEAL trains them, and they put them out in the field to defend these animals because animals aren't able to defend themselves otherwise against guns. But when they have some humans who are well-trained like Navy SEALs to defend them, they do. And they have helped preserve so many pangolins, so many rhinos and so much of the wildlife in Africa and I think that that right now more more than ever is is really essential
0: work well um, we are thrilled to honor the, that charity and the work that they do and want to thank you again for joining us here and sharing your work we love the book and we'll share it with all of our peeps in the corporate world and outside the corporate war- world so we can start breathing a little bit better. So uh, James, thanks again for coming on and sitting down with me.
1: Thanks so much for having me and keep working on the nasal stuff. Let me know how it goes.
0: I will definitely do that.